Hey, what is up, everybody? Thanks so much for joining us for the Forge HQ podcast, where we're diving into our Bible reading plan. We're talking about things that apply to our journey as men, figuring out how to live out what it means to be a godly, biblically focused, biblically centered man. I am excited this week to talk about um, some big ideas, legacy, talking about how we steward and pastor and shepherd in our home. It's going to be good stuff. Uh, Hey, thanks so much for those of you who have liked the podcast and who have helped share it. Uh, We're new to this scene in the space, and uh, I'm excited for things to come. Got some great uh, ideas and leads and lines on some guys coming to join us as we dive into other topics besides just working through our Bible reading plan. So if you're new to the Forge HQ podcast, currently we are working through our Bible reading plan. You can find that at our website, theforgehq.org. We are endeavoring to read through scripture together this year. We believe that if you want to know what God is saying to you, it will probably sound like something he has already said so that it's vital to our lives as men to be rooted and established and planted in the word of God, to know it, to love it, to to need it, to to get it inside of us uh, so that we can be men who bear fruit. So uh, let's jump in. This week we are covering First uh, Kings chapter 3 through First Kings 16. A lot of stuff happening here. We, we, we've seen this transition from King David over to uh, King Solomon, and we're going to journey through David's line as time begins to pass in the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. Um, and specifically, uh, I want to jump in to two places um, today. First Kings chapter eight, right? First Kings chapter eight, if you remember a little bit of the backstory, David really wanted to build the Lord a permanent house, a temple to the Lord. But the Lord said that he was not going to be the one to build it, but that his son would be the one to actually build the king, uh, the king's temple and uh, would build the Lord's temple and the king's house. And so uh, up to this point, the tabernacle had been mobile. The Ark of the Covenant had been somewhat mobile. And so Solomon is actually going to build and undertake the building of the temple of the Lord. And it is a huge project. So First Kings chapter 8 uh, is on the, the other side of the project, and we see that they're dedicating um, the temple. Um, and I love there. there's two, two big passages here, but, but the first one is this. First Kings chapter 8 verse 11 says, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. So literally, they get done building the temple. They fill it full of all of the artifacts that have been in the tabernacle. They move, essentially move the Lord's things into his house, and the Lord comes and dwells. Uh, And his presence takes up residence in the temple so thick that the priests can't even function, can't even get things done because the presence of the Lord is so thick. And it kind of... Spawn this thought process, right? As I'm thinking about being a dad, as a husband, um, being being the father and husband in my home, and my role as the priest in my house. What is what does that mean? What is that idea? Let me ask you a question. Um, I've asked people a couple of these questions uh, over the last year or so. How much would you pay for ten pennies? 10 pennies. 
the U.S. Mint, the, the economy in the United States says that those 10 pennies are worth 10 cents. Their face value is 10 cents, one cent per penny. However, just recently, 10 pennies were purchased for $1.1 million at auction. That's fascinating. It, it means that their worth is more than their face value. The value established by uh, the mint and the government and the economy says they're worth one cent, but their worth, their their value, or what because of what they are, the time frame they were made, what they're made out of, the designs on them, their worth, they're actually valued and were purchased for $1.1 million. That blows my mind. So um, it just makes me think this train of thought that sometimes what we may take at face value as being one thing isn't actually the true worth of that thing. These 10 pennies taken at face value are 10 cents, but that doesn't mean that they are worth 10 cents. They're actually worth a whole, whole lot more based on a whole lot of things. And so I think this passage right here where the, the presence of the Lord fills the temple at face value, we can look at that and go, man, that's really cool. That's the Lord's house. That's where he should be. But if we read just a, a little bit further in the story, what we find that that presence of God dwelling amongst his people is actually worth to Solomon is worth far more than than just the Lord dwelling in his house. It says that Solomon dedicated the temple, and when he did, he offered sacrifices. And in in First Kings chapter eight verse sixty three, it said Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings to the Lord, twenty two thousand cattle and a hundred and twenty thousand sheep and goats. So the king and all Israel dedicated the temple of the Lord. So the presence of God dwelling amongst Israel, amongst the people of God in Jerusalem, wasn't the value of it was not just, oh, it's his house, it's where he lives, it's the temple of God. The worth, what it was worth to the people was everything. It was this extravagant gift that Solomon gives, this extravagant offering, this sacrifices, massive, right? Because the value, the worth of having God dwell among his people is incalculable, really. Even Moses said it right when he's talking with the Lord before they leave the mountain. He says, if you don't go up from here with us, then we're not going to go. I don't want to go anywhere that your presence is not. That's how valuable the presence of God is. So let me ask a question, right? I'm asking myself this question, which is, what would I give up? What is the presence of God in my home worth? What's it worth? What is having the presence of God amongst my family worth? Is it worth getting up early to be a man who is invested in scripture? Is it worth me getting up as a man and spending time in prayer for my kids, for my wife? Is it worth me giving up food here and there so that I can pursue the Lord? Is it worth me not watching the shows that everybody else is watching? Is it worth me sacrificing so that I can have my kids every Sunday in church? Is it worth me making sacrifices so that I create a place where the Lord wants to dwell? That I create an atmosphere in my home where the Holy Spirit feels welcome 
and invited to participate in our lives? Am I, is it worth creating space in my home? What is the presence of God in our lives worth? Um, God wants to be a part of our lives. He wants to be smack dab in the middle of them. He doesn't want to be an add-on, but it requires you and I functioning differently than we may think. Because if we establish that the presence of God is worth everything, then it means that there are probably some things in our lives that we need to be giving sacrificially to demonstrate the worth and the value that we place upon having the presence of God in our lives. For me, it looks like giving up things. It looks like getting up early so that I can carve out time and space just to be with the Lord. It, it means, you know, watching what my kids watch and making sure that what I watch in my home is pleasing to the Lord. It's about creating an atmosphere that's inviting to the presence of the Lord and the presence of the Lord. Right. I, I always think back to what's going on in heaven and how can I recreate or how can I foster that environment in my home? Well, if you fast forward to the end of the Bible, right, you read Revelation, it says that around the throne is constant worship. So one of the ways that we really practice this in our home is that we find spaces and places in our schedule and our time together as a family where we are training and teaching our kids to be worshipers. So we don't do this perfectly, but even yesterday, we, we my wife and I were, were like stuck on this song. It talks about the peace of God. And so we had been listening to it individually off and on throughout the afternoon. And so when I got home uh, last night, I just put it on and just had it on repeat. And uh, my daughter, she's seven. She asked me, she said, hey, dad, why why is this song keep playing? This is like literally the fifth time it's played. I said, we're, we're soaking in this. We're listening to it so that it gets inside of us because the song is declaring truth that we need to know and it needs to be in us. And so sometimes we just put it on over and over and over again so that it gets in there. So that in a moment of stress, what pops out is good, it's worship, it's holy, it's a reminder of who God is. So teaching our kids and fostering an environment in our homes where they're being worshipers, that's one way. I would love to hear how you're fostering places and spaces in your family times to host the presence of the Lord, or even what is that? What does that look like for you? I'd love, I'd love to hear some feedback from you about hosting the presence of the Lord in your home and really thinking through that. What would I give to have the physical presence of the Lord in my home? What does that look like? Let's switch gears. Here's, here's the next thought um, that I think ties in directly to this idea. And it happens in first Kings 11. First Kings 11, this thing starts to happen. We start to see the, the the other things about Solomon. And it says that he's the wisest man in all the the earth. Nobody's ever been as wise as him. He's the richest. He is the king that every king aspires to be. He's got it all, right? And it says that he had hundreds of wives who led his heart astray. So much so that this guy who we read about in 1 Kings 8, who is just dedicated to the temple of the Lord, he's seeing the manifest presence of God in the temple. He's watching God move. God is showing up and speaking directly to him. This God, this guy then has his heart led astray because he has too many loves, hundreds of loves. First uh, Kings 11 verse 1 says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. 
They were from nations about which the Lord told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. So Solomon had many loves and those many loves led his heart astray to worship other gods so much so that Solomon builds temples to these other gods in the high places or the mountains around Jerusalem to go and worship these gods. And so the same man who is in one season is building a temple to the Lord and seeing the presence of God because of his many loves in another season is now worshiping other gods. And so there's this this understanding that as men, we must watch how many loves we allow to fill our lives. That over time, if there are too many loves, our heart and our love becomes diluted and our passion for the Lord can become diluted. If there's too many loves, there's too many things vying for our affection. We've got to be steadfast and resolute to guard our heart that we love few things, but we love them deeply. Um, Here's what scripture says because of this. First Kings 11. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. Fast forward to verse 12. Here's, Here's the result. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it, the kingdom, out of the hand of your son. So because Solomon had many loves, because his heart wandered away from the Lord, because he began to worship other gods, the Lord comes and says, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you. But for the sake of your father, David, I'm not going to do it during your lifetime. The power of a father's choices and how it affects our children. We have a hard time. I have a hard time with thinking generationally and thinking long term. I think, how in the world are my grandkids going to live? How, what does that even look like? I'm, I'm so busy trying to make sure that my kids just live through the weekend sometimes with all the crazy activities and things we're doing. I'm not thinking about my grandkids. I'm not thinking about how my life affects my grandkids. But scripture is so clear in this instance that David's grandson is going to have the kingdom ripped from him because of the actions of Solomon, his father. But the Lord's also going to show Solomon favor because of the actions of David. So because of David, the Lord relented against Solomon. But because of Solomon, Rehoboam lost 10 tribes of Israel. It's the power of a father's choice. I spent the weekend this last weekend with a bunch of guys up in the mountains, and we talked about the fact that choosing to follow Jesus has generational impacts. Generations are impacted by the decisions you and I make. It's the saying, it's the quote from uh, from Gladiator, right? Like, hey, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. Well, what you do, your choices that you make, they impact your kids. And more so, we have to understand that your decisions, they may impact your grandkids. And so choosing to follow Jesus, choosing to change the family story, choosing to engage with Jesus in your life could have massive ramifications for your kids. It could have even bigger ramifications for your grandkids. So the power of a father's choice, going back to the hundreds of loves that Solomon had, because he had hundreds of loves, he's displaying to Rehoboam this this apathy towards the Lord. It's going to become a theme in David's descendants where they their hearts are stolen away by idols. They worship foreign gods. There's no coming back to who God is. There's very few moments in David's story, the rest of Israel's history, 
where kings' hearts were steadfast after the Lord. It makes me wonder if this wasn't the beginning of that story, that Solomon's decision to have hundreds of loves was going to become a generational curse that, that filters through time, that every king follow him, every person in the line of David is now going to have this, this scarlet thread running through this theme where their hearts are turned away from the Lord because of many loves. So as dads, how do we have one love? How do we have few loves? What would we give to have the presence of the Lord in our home? Because the presence of the Lord in our home can change generations. So what are we willing? What's the choice that we're willing to make as a father? Understanding that in our lifetimes, we may not see it, but it may impact our grandkids. What decisions do you need to make and leading your home as the spiritual head, the covering, the leader, the one who God anointed and equipped to go first. What decisions do you need to make and what actions need to follow those decisions so that you can begin to foster an environment in your home that welcomes the presence of the Lord? Because your choice as dad, as father, has far-reaching generational impact. Man, stay with it this week. Dive into the word. I love it. Win the day. Crush it. Do all of those incredible things. Uh, but most importantly, remember to live on purpose. Peace.